You know, a few weeks ago, I was um, working out on a Monday. That's kind of my routine now. So I find that after a Sunday, I'm just kind of wiped out. And the only thing that kind of gets me back is to work out. And so I was riding the elliptical. Boring. Hate it. But I was riding it, doing it. But I was listening to a message by Chuck Swindoll. And it was out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I got to tell you, I'm about halfway through my workout and I just stopped and went and sat down and listened. And I got to tell you, when I listened to that message, I realized that this is a message that our church needs to hear. And then I said, you know, I'm going to study that. I didn't want to just rip off his message, so I I actually did the work. And and so I want to present to you today a message out of 1 Corinthians 15, the very last verse. And I think it's so prevalent to where the church is as a whole, where our nation is, and maybe where some of us are this morning. And the idea that Paul the Apostle is trying to get across through this passage is he's concerned And he's concerned about the church in Corinth that erosion has taken place in the people. Erosion, you know what that is. You don't really see it. It's slow. It's silent. It's kind of like a building that hasn't been kept up. And before you know it, the foundation begins to crumble. Maybe the paint begins to fade. And sometimes in our lives as Christians, we can just begin to fade. We can begin to drift away from the solid truth of God's Word and the steadfast faith and and so Paul, he, he writes this wonderful letter to the Corinthian church to strengthen them. And what he shares this morning, I think he's going to reveal four essential things that we as individual Christians need, as well as the church need, to stay spiritually healthy. Let's look at the text. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, only one verse, verse 58. And then we're also going to look at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So what are the essential ingredients for us to remain healthy in our faith? First thing is we need to be steadfast and alert, steadfast and alert. An effective ministry, a fruitful Christian life, means that we have a, a steadfast walk with Jesus Christ. We haven't shifted away. And Paul is very concerned with the Corinthian church. And so as a way of review, so you understand a little bit about the church at Corinth, Paul went and planted the church in his second missionary journey. And then on his third missionary journey, he writes this letter because he's hearing that things are going on in the church. And he writes the letter from Ephesus. And the problem is, was the city of Corinth. That was a very sinful and debauched place. As a matter of fact, the the temple of Epaphrodite was there. And because of that, she was known as the goddess of love. And so they had these temple priestesses They were temple prostitutes, and at night they'd go into the city and and offer their services to the people in the city. It was immoral. It was full of sin. And there was a serious problem in the church. Some people from the church started to drift away from the truth and started to move back towards the world. And so Paul, in an effort to stop the bleed, writes the letter. Also, false teachers had gotten into the church. He calls them wolves. And they begin to teach false doctrine. They begin to teach that Jesus never rose from the dead. 
As a matter of fact, if we look at chapter 15, all of chapter 15, except for the verse that we're in, verse 58, speaks on the resurrection. The verse we're in is the application because there's a resurrection. So Paul, to make sure that he has this ironclad case on the resurrection, this is what he says in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He says, For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel message right there. Clear. Jesus came, lived the perfect life. He willingly went to the cross, died on the cross. He was buried in the grave, rose from the dead. Amen. And so Paul begins the letter, begins this section in verse 15 with, boom, the gospel. And then he says in verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and also your faith is in vain. Do you understand that the Christian faith, it is built upon the foundation of the resurrection? And because Christ has risen from the dead, you and I also will be raised from the dead. And then what Paul does is just beautiful. At the end of this section, he kind of gives this crescendo of praise. Look at it with me, verses 55 through 57. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes like, wow, because Jesus, he died and he rose again. He says, death has no victory over you anymore. It has no power over you. You now have the ability to move forward in faith because you are guaranteed the resurrection. You have been bought at a price. Then he says, well, how do we do that? Be steadfast. He moves right in from just, wow, the resurrection, right into giving us a prescription. How do we stand? How do we remain faithful? How do you stay strong in the faith now, some people are thinking, well, Paul, that's all great, the resurrection and stuff, but we live in a real world, Paul. We have real enemies, Paul. Yeah, we have a devil. He does not want you to walk with Christ. We have a world that's always trying to lure you. And by the way, your flesh, it's weak. So what does Paul say? Be steadfast. Be steadfast. Don't move. Remain be steady. Look at verse 58 again. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. If you notice, he started off with beloved brethren. I love that. Do you know that you're loved, deeply loved by our Lord? You have been brought in to the kingdom of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. He deeply, deeply loves you. He has your back. Not only that, Paul says, therefore, what? Because Jesus raised from the dead. There is power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, you have that power within you to do what? To be steadfast. To not go anywhere. To remain. The church is slipping away, isn't it? What's happened in our day? What's happened is, is they've started to move away from the truth of God's Word. Steadfast means settled, solid, reliable, rooted, firmly committed 
to the truth. And so Paul would tell you to settle down. Do not be afraid. Remain reliable. He would say, remain committed to the word of truth. Stand in your faith. He would say, remain rooted. Abide in Christ. He would say, remain settled. Don't wander. It is the truth. It is solid. And then what he does is he reinforces it. And in chapter 16, and so you understand, he, he, you know, at the, end of, at the end of chapter 15, he, he has this prescription, and then he starts doing the close of his letter, and then all of a sudden in, in 16, he kind of reinforces it again. It's like, man, don't miss this. And so he says, not only be steadfast, but also what? Be alert. Be alert. That means don't get lazy. Don't fall asleep. <laughs> be watchful, always hearing, always listening, always watching. Be like that watchman on the wall. Be alert. The devil is on the prowl. He wants you to fall. The enemy is always lurking. Be aware. And Chuck Swindoll said this. He says, you don't wake up one day and decide, I think I'm going to drift today. No erosion. Erosion is gradual. It's slow. And it's silent. It's kind of like the paint on your house. I just noticed the other day that the paint on the side of our house where the sun hits, it's starting to fade. And sometimes what happens with people is, is we don't realize it, but we're starting to fade away. We're, we're, we're no longer as excited about the things of the Lord that we used to be, and the, the things of God are becoming a little more distant for us. And So what does it look like to drift? And I just have a few suggestions for you. For some of you, it may be that it used to be, you know, kind of like you were a new Christian and, and the Bible was fresh and new. You couldn't wait to get up in the morning. And so, you know, you'd put on that coffee. You've got to have the coffee. So you'd, you'd put on the coffee and, and you'd get the Word of God and you'd spend time in, in Word and prayer every day because it meant that connection with the Lord again. But then one day, I don't know why, you just kind of said, you know what, today I'm going to just sleep in. And, and then it went from one day to a week and Pretty much anymore, you don't even read the Word of God that much anymore. Really, you're more into the news in the morning, and you catch coffee on the fly. And, and can I tell you, you've drifted. You've gotten away from the steadfast Word. For some of you, it used to be that you just served the Lord with passion. I mean, you could not wait to get here to this service before the music started because you knew that once that music started, that the, the worship would begin to warm your heart. It would draw you in. It would soften you for the Word of God. And so you wanted to be here, boom, on time. And then, you know, it's five minutes late, and then it's ten minutes late. Now you pretty much miss worship. Sometimes you come in, even when the, the Word of God is beginning to preach, there's a, there's a drifting that's taken place. The, the excitement that once was, it, it's not there like it used to be. And you used to love to serve the Lord but then you started to say, you know, I feel kind of tired, so I think I'm just going to take a break. And the break that was only going to be maybe for a month went to a few months, and maybe even for some of you now, it's, that break has actually been years. There's a proverb that says, in Proverbs 15, 19, it says, the way of the lazy is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. You know, it used to be that the Lord was opening doors for you all the time. It was like a highway. It was like, man, boom, 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 things to do for the Lord. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden, if you feel like you kind of hit this wall, this hedge of thorns. And, and now you realize when you're talking about the Lord, it's about what the Lord used to do, not what the Lord is doing. I'm going to tell you, you've drifted. There's a, a slide, a fade that's happened in your life. For some of you, 
You used to guard what you watched. You used to, to guard what you listened to. And particularly profanity and filth and things like that you would never, never allow in your house. But suddenly you found yourself, you've been watching these shows, you've been watching these movies, and, and you don't have that same sensitivity to it anymore. As a matter of fact, you've actually brought your spouse into it with you. And what used to be a time where you set up a guard and you were the person that was, was sensitive to it, you've almost lost that sensitivity to those things that used to bother you. What is that? We would call that a, a drifting. I'm going to give you a sure sign of drifting. You come to church, but now instead of coming to church with this heart of worship and this desire to be fed the Word of God, you actually come to church to kind of rate the church. You know, you come and it's kind of like entertainment or a movie, and, and you find that the conversations afterwards, you know, I thought today's service was kind of like a three. Last week it was a four, and maybe two and a half was the week before, and and you find what's happened is you've even gotten so bad to the point where you're beginning to think that, that maybe you need to find another church, maybe another form of entertainment. Can I tell you something? No, what you need is to repent. You need to say, Lord, my heart has drifted. Now, if we are being faithful to teach the Word of God and stick to the Scripture, exposition the Scripture for you, but you found that your heart is cold to the things of God, it's not the church. It's you. Be honest before the Lord. Ask yourself, have I become a critic and no longer a worshiper? If one of these things sound like you, or even all of them, then you need to be honest before the Lord and say, you know, Lord, I think there's a drift taking place in my heart. And Father, would you help me to be sensitive again to your spirit? Would you make me hungry for the Word of God. Would you make me desire to be with your people? Because I know you love them, Lord. I want to love them again. And you're thinking, you know, Pastor Rob, that'll never happen to me. Oh, it'll happen. Matter of fact, I want to give you a biblical example. Now, you know that Paul, he wrote the book of Corinthians. He wrote it from Ephesus. And Ephesus, it was a powerhouse church. It was a church that was faithful, faithful. They had a reputation of doing the work of the Lord almost like no other. You know what they were known for? Their love for Jesus. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, he says, who are faithful in Christ Jesus? Man, could you imagine if we had an apostle here and he said that about our church? I mean, that's what they say about us, that we're faithful? Wow. But now Paul, a number of years later, he knows that he needs to stand before Caesar. And he's going to be leaving, getting on a ship. And so he calls the elders together and he's concerned. And so by the Spirit, the Spirit shares with Paul what to say. And, and in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 32, this is what he says. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, and draw away the disciples after them. Listen, therefore, be on the alert. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance amongst all those who are being sanctified. 
So Paul, he, he tells the Ephesian church, you know, be on alert, man. There are wolves coming, but it's okay. Stay in what? The Word of grace. What is that? That's the Word of God. He's saying, if you remain in the Word of God, if you remain alert, you're not going to fade. But guess what? They did fade. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' letters to the churches in Revelation, He speaks of the church in Ephesus. This is only 30 years later. Paul wrote that in AD 60, AD 90. Listen to Jesus' strong rebuke, Revelation 2, 4, and 5. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Then remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And can I tell you something? They did not repent. He did remove their lampstand out of its place. I don't know if you've ever heard that song by Casting Crowns. It's called Slow Fade. I want to read you some of the stanzas from that. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Now thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. Now people never crumble in a day, it's a slow fade, it's a slow fade. The journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Be careful if you think you stand, you just might be sinking. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade. Listen, beloved in Christ. You are deeply, deeply loved by our Lord. He has bought you at a price. You are His. But He calls us in the power of His strength. He calls us to be steadfast and to always be alert. First thing. Steadfast and alert. Second thing, sounds very similar. He says, be immovable and stand firm. Be immovable and stand firm. Now, this is going to be slightly different. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the storms of life hit, right? And there are times when it's just a lot tougher. The season is tougher. Paul would say, what do you do at that time? He says, don't move. <laughs> do not move on what you know is true. Be immovable. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but nothing ever stays the same. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are thousands of people that have had their heads cut off because of ISIS, but the news no longer even reports it. Our country now is so polarized, more than it's ever been. The church, certain denominations, are actually ordaining, practicing homosexuals, and now even transgenders. I mean, what the heck is going on? Can I tell you? It's drifted. They've drifted away from the firm foundation of the Word, the authority and the inerrancy of the Bible. They have drifted away. And so my plea to you this morning is do not drift. Do not fade away from the truth. And what Paul says here, he says, be immovable. I mean, steady. Don't go anywhere. This means not readily shaken in one's opinions or beliefs. It means to be anchored to the truth of Scripture. 
to sink deeply that anchor and do not move away. Hebrews 10.23 puts it like this. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Hold fast without wavering. Anchors in deep. We're trusting in the word of God. We're not moving away from that foundation. So, you know, as a church, we've been a church now for almost 40 years. I am the fourth senior pastor for this church. And we, two years ago, Pastor Neil and I, we transitioned. I took over the senior pastor role. He's now Pastor Emeritus. And, and when I took over that role as a senior pastor, there were some people in our church that got really nervous, I mean, really scared that I was going to take this church and make it wacky. And some people left because they thought, oh, man, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I'm going to tell you something. This church will remain steadfast in the Word of God. I will teach the Scripture expositionally, line by line, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We will walk through the Bible together. I will read the text, explain the text. I'm going to simply teach simply the Word of God. We are anchored to the Word. I will stay anchored to the Word as your pastor, and I'm going to call you higher to remain in the Word of God. Now, how are we as a church going to help you grow? That's a mandate from our Lord to help you. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we've put it on our walls. First, we want you to know Christ. Not know about Jesus. The the church at Ephesus, they knew about Jesus. They had lost their first love. No, we want you to love Jesus. We want you to know Him deeply. I'm going to wake Him up. Thank you. We want to help you know Him. Personal, deep, a relationship with the living Lord. But not only do we want you to know Christ, we want you to grow. We want to help you, me, Pastor Brian, Pastor Neil, Stan, other staff members, all of us together. What do we want to do? We want to grow. We don't just want to know about Jesus. We want to begin to become a mature Christian, living out our Christian faith with others in community, understanding the things of Scripture. Why do we have home fellowships? It's so that we can go deeper in the Word of God and do it in community. Why do we offer you these different classes like this coming Wednesday where we're going to have the, you know, this, this time learning about what atheists are? The reason is, is so that you can have a sound word and understanding of what's out there so that you can be equipped. Why do we offer men's and women's Bible studies so you can have accountability with others that are like-minded and grow deeper in the word? We do these things so that you will grow. Not only do we want you to take in the information, understand the word of God, we want you to sow Christ. You know, one thing, if you've heard about the Lake of Galilee, it's living, right? It has fish, it's, it's abundant life. The Dead Sea has no life. Why? Because it has an inlet but no outlet. We are called to give back what God has given to us. That's why in the home fellowships, and I got a little flack from that one, is that we, we try to help you understand how to give a testimony. Why? So that when God calls you with that family member or friend, that you'll be ready with an answer for what God has done in your life. 
Why do we try to help you understand a simple gospel message to share? Because it's going to happen. You're going to have a friend or a workmate or somebody ask you, well, what does that mean? Here you go. You're sowing Jesus. You're showing the tr- sowing the truth of his word. It's on us to help you, and we want to help you. We want to see you know him, grow in him, sowing him to others. We're committed to that. And so Paul, in his heart, he says, you know, we want you to stay alert, to stay on it, to be ready. And then he says something really interesting in chapter 16, verse 13. He says, stand firm in the faith. Well, that sounds very similar to like steadfast, but it's a little bit different. And I was talking to Gary, who's a boxer. One thing about boxing, one thing that's very important is leg work. You want a good foundation, a good stance. When I was in martial arts, you had to have a really deep stance, strength, firm foundation. Why? Because it's easy to get knocked over. You're going to lose. The idea is also like a soldier. When a soldier is given a command, he says, okay, you hold that post. Don't move back. If you want to move forward, that's great, but don't move back. That's the idea. As a soldier is always to move forward, don't give up your position. In the same way, Paul is telling us as Christians, you stand firm in the faith. And so we're going to stand firm in the truth of God's word. God alone, Christ alone. We're going to stand by grace alone, faith alone, in the word of God, the scriptures alone. Now, Satan is crafty. Satan has three tactics, and you just should be aware of them. They're all D's. The first one is deceit. He is a liar. And he wants to lie to you. Why does he lie? Because he wants you to doubt. If he can cause doubt in your life, what's that make you? It makes you ineffective. You don't know what to do. You're no longer a strong Christian. And then what? Discouragement. Satan's goal is always to pull you out of the fight. You're already saved. Hey, you've been born again. What is his goal? His goal is to stop you from being effective. But what are we called to do? Be immovable. Stand fast in the faith. Don't move. You know, someone who stood in the gap, if you will, that really all of us are a product of and we benefit from is Martin Luther. In the 1500s, the Roman Catholic Church, they started to do something that was called selling indulgences. And what selling indulgence is, is they taught that if you wanted to buy Uncle Sam or or Aunt Judy or anybody out of purgatory, if you gave the church money, you basically gave them enough money, you would buy them out of purgatory. So these are people who are already dead, and family members would give money to buy them out. And this is what the Pope was telling people to do. And Martin Luther said, that is not in God's Word, that is wrong. And so what he does is he writes something called the 95 Theses, and he tacks it to the Wittenberg Church. What he didn't know is that the Gutenberg Press had been invented, and that caught wind. They printed it off. It went all over Germany. And so Martin Luther, he wanted to kind of take a stand against indulgences, but what happened when the 95 Theses came out, which showed the, the, the issues within the church, it basically came a debate about whether or not the Pope had the right to issue indulgences based on the Word of God. And of course, we know the answer is no. And so this is what Martin Luther said at a public debate in Leipzig. In 1519, he said this, he said, a simple layman armed with the scriptures was superior to both the Pope and the councils without them. And because of that, they wanted his head. And so in 1521, they called an assembly in Worms and Martin Luther was brought there and he had to stand before all the council and the Pope. And this is what he said. He says, unless 
I can be instructed and convinced with the evidence from Holy Scriptures, with open, clear, distinct grounds of reasoning. I cannot and I will not recount because it is neither safe nor wise to act against the conscience. He then added, here I stand. I can do no other. God, help me. You know what he stood on? The Word of God. We as a church and you individually need to stand on the Word of God. Be immovable. Stand fast in the truth. Two things. Be steadfast on alert. Be immovable. Stand firm. The third one. This third one is offensive. So, so what Paul has done, he's given us two defensives, right? Two de- defenses to fight the tide of change. The third one is offensive. He says, be abounding and courageous. Be abounding and courageous. Look at verses 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then if you look at verse 13 of chapter 16, he says, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is Paul's emphasis. He uses the word always to emphasize this is something we should always be doing. And then that word abounding in the Greek is perusu, which means to abound, to be in abundance, always abounding. Basically, what Paul is saying here is don't be stagnant in your walk. Serve the Lord. I mean, go for it. He's equipped you. He's given you gifts. You're born again. You have the power of the Spirit within you. Now what do you do? You abound in the work of the Lord. Do not be stagnant. Now, now how do we do that? I think first, enthusiasm. You enthusiastically serve the Lord. I got to tell you, This past week, I saw that happen like I can't even tell you. So many people gave enthusiastically to these little ones. There was dancing and singing and praying and talking. And man, it was just excitement nonstop. And every day, everybody got tireder and tireder and tired of it. Every day, they they manned up and they went for it. And it was just a joy to see them enthusiastic about bringing Jesus to these little ones. And most of the people that came weren't from our church. This was an outreach to the community to give a place so that people would know who Jesus is, and particularly these little ones. And, and so it was just neat to see that. It was enthusiasm. I don't know if you know this, but just in the last few weeks, we've had seven adults come to know Christ. Now, how did that happen? Well, there were some people enthusiastic about sharing the gospel outside the church, and there are a few that got saved outside the church. And then there were some people who were enthusiastic in the church and they couldn't help but invite their family and their friends and different people. And all of a sudden, these people that have never heard about Jesus came to this church and all of a sudden, they come to know Jesus. You understand that enthusiasm, joy about the Lord, it, it, it overflows, it abounds. It's contagious. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Be enthusiastic. We're serving a king. Not only that, let's do it with excellence. When we serve the Lord, we give him our best. We say, Lord, I only have this amount of time, but what I've got, I give to you. And I give a full heart before you. And not only that, do it with perseverance. If you commit, commit to the end. Be faithful. That's what the word always really is talking about. It's talking about faithfulness. A willingness to say, you know what, I'm in, and I'm in to the end. (laughs) Now, it's interesting. Our struggle is, well, well, God, I don't see the fruit. Welcome to ministry. And it's both the joy and part of ministry. 
The hardest part for me when I became a pastor really was I came from a sales background where I always got kind of rewarded when you got a sale, right? You get the data boys from the other sales guys. Your manager says, good job. And then at the end, you got the paycheck. It was like, wow. Well, I came here and I'm you know, laboring and praying and helping. And where's this, where is it? Where's the fruit? Well, guys, what it is is we're planting seeds and we're praying with people and we're, we're sharing the gospel and, 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 and God brings the increase. My job, plant, pray, serve. His job. Bring the increase. He's faithful to do that. Now Paul's saying, okay, be abundant. But then he shifts in, in chapter 16, and, and he wants to make sure that fear doesn't stop us. And so what he says here, he says, act like men, be strong. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in our culture, it's hard to even know what that means anymore, to act like a man. It's almost non-existent in our culture. Another way, the NIV says, be men of courage. I like that a little better. Be of courage, both men and women. Be strong. Now, courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is even when you're afraid, you say, you know, Lord, I'm going to move forward in faith. I'm willing to, to step into my fear for your sake. I'm willing to take a risk for Jesus' sake. If you look at the Old Testament, Particularly when there was this transition between Moses to Joshua. Guess what? Joshua was scared to death. Now, Deuteronomy 31, God talks to the people and He says, don't worry, don't worry. Be strong, be courageous. But then when you turn the page, and now you're in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, five different times Joshua is told, be strong, be courageous. Why was he told that? Because he was afraid. But it's not strong in our strength. It's strong in His strength. God will give you the strength to move forward when you move forward in faith. Trust Him. Be strong. Ephesians 1.19 puts it like this. It says, What is the surpassing greatness of His power to those of us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Our strength is in Him. It's what God wants from us is to, to be that person and we say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to just move forward because I trust you, even though I'm a little bit nervous to do this right now. You know who I was thinking about? I was thinking about Pastor Farouz, kind of just his faithfulness over the years. And what struck me, and I don't know if you know this about our own Pastor Farouz, who's downstairs right now preaching, is when he started his church, he preached for two years without anyone showing up. Literally every weekend, he would set up the church. He and his wife would bring sweets, and they'd set up the chairs, and he was faithful to preach week in, week out, week in, week out. Not just 52 weeks, 104 weeks without one person. And then all of a sudden, people started to come. And right now, below us, we have somewhere around 80, 90-plus people that used to be caught in Islam and now are free in Christ. Faithfulness, sturdiness, perseverance, willingness to serve. So three things. Be steadfast and unalert. Be immovable. Stand firm. Be abounding and courageous. And the last one, be confident and loving. If you want to fight the slide, if you want to remain healthy in the Lord, be confident and be loving. Look at verse 58. He says, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And in verse 14 of chapter 16, he says, let all that you do be done in love. 
Now, serving others and teaching and preaching and praying and, and giving out, it really is a lot of seed planting. It's a lot of giving out and sometimes not always seeing the result of it. And I think the people in Corinth, they were kind of struggling. They're, they're wondering, when is you know, there going to be fruit from the ministry? When is there going to be this kind of thing? And if I could tell you anything, I, I think it's to help us to learn to be patient, to wait on the Lord, and to understand that everything that you do, for Christ's sake, is not in vain. I was trying to help the people at VBS because they were tired, <laughs> I mean, really tired. And Thursday is kind of like that day where you're just kind of like, oh. And so I just tried to let them know that everything they said, everything they did, every time they spent with a little one, it, it wasn't in vain. Do you understand that, that God knows your heart and He's seen those times that you've been on your knees for your family member that doesn't know Jesus? He's been with you when you've tried to share the gospel and stumbled along. You felt like you just did a terrible job. It wasn't in vain. He's been with you when you've been struggling over a text and you don't understand what it means and you're trying to understand the Bible. Oh, God, I don't understand it. It's not in vain. Everything you do for the Lord's sake is not in vain. He sees it. And not only does he see it, he has an account. He knows every one of your tears. And one day there is a reward waiting for you. Everything he knows. Nothing is wasted. Everything counts for him. I want to have a however there. However, it should be done in love. Love. Verse 14 says, let all that you do be done in love. Now, Paul had, had just kind of used this saying where he says, you know, act like men, be strong. Sounds like a soldier. And so we kind of have, yeah, we're going to take that hill. And then he says, yeah, but Christian soldiers take the hill in love. What? The idea is this. If you're doing it for yourself, if you're trying to win a victory for status, it doesn't count. But when you do it out of a love for him because of what he's done for you, boy, it counts. Now, Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, and this is what he says. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Here's the key. If your life is marked with success, riches and fame, if you have a ministry that's reaching out to thousands, if God has given you abilities and talents that are far beyond any of your peers, and yet you are not showing the love of Christ, then it adds up to nothing. But the simplest thing we do, if it's done of the love of Christ, it counts, it matters, it is not in vain, it makes a difference. Now, an example of love that I read about this week, which just really kind of blew my mind, was a, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Van Wood. And Thomas and his wife had six children, and they found out that she was pregnant with their seventh, and she was already moving into her late 40s. And they realized that there was a good chance that this child would, would have a disability, and sure enough, he was born with Down syndrome. And Chris Vanderwood, who's a pastor and a writer, he 
he said, you know, this didn't matter to my dad. He was my father's son. And so the boy's name is Josie. And so a number of years later, Josie and his dad, they're playing out in the front yard and, and they had a broken septic tank. And Josie fell into the septic tank and the septic tank is about eight feet deep. Now, because of his condition, he didn't know how to swim. And so he started to sink and, and the dad's trying to pull him out, but he's too heavy and he can't figure out what to do. So what the dad does is he crawls into the septic tank. He goes under the water line. He puts his son on his shoulders and he stands up. And he holds his son above the water line. Now it took a while for the paramedics and everybody to get there and the son was still above the water line, but the dad had passed away, holding fast to his son. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, that one day is, one would lay down his life for his friends. Do you understand what the Lord has done for you? He sent his only begotten son out of love for you and me. And a son out of love for us took the burden of our sin upon his shoulders. He pays for it completely and he lifts us up so that we are heaven ready. With that kind of love displayed to us, I mean, how can we not display that love towards others? The love of Christ, it matters. So four things to have a healthy walk before the Lord. Be steadfast and unalert. Be immovable, stand firm. Be abounding, be courageous, be confident, be loving. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we're always grateful to you for the Word of God. And Father, I know that it's easy to, to drift. It's easy to begin to, to slide away from the truth. There's all these pressures around us. There are times, Lord, when we need to be called back and that the Word of God is, is firm and helpful. I thank you for Paul's writing this morning. I pray that it would help each of us to, to remain strong in our faith and steadfast in our walk. Father, help us, each of us, to honor you in everything that we say and do. And now, Lord, by your Spirit, may you move in power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.